through the hallways of academia and on the face of the moon the footprints of conquest haven't left us any room to say Greetings, and welcome to the 52nd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this month of August 2020. This is WLRN sound engineer Jenna DeQuarto. I grew up playing sports and am grateful for it. It was the most appropriate way for me to express my so-called aggressiveness and distinct unladylikeness. Softball was fun. I tried tennis and soccer. I was even open-minded enough to try cheerleading for a season, against my better judgment. But basketball won out. I played that throughout childhood until high school, where it became less about having fun and more about winning titles and grooming for college. I'm grateful to have had basketball for all those years. It taught me to use my body without shame and with confidence. I had the opportunity when I was still pretty small to play baseball with boys. If I remember correctly, there was one other girl already signed up. I declined. This month's edition focuses on Save Women's Sports, a grassroots advocacy organization that sprung up in early 2019 when Beth Stelzer, amateur powerlifter from Minnesota, founded the organization. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview WLRN's Danny Whitaker did with Beth Stelzer and Linda Blade, two active members of Save Women's Sports, to hear about their latest campaigns and progress on those campaigns to fight for girls' and women's rights to compete without male interference in the international world of sports. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's WLRN's April No with women's news from around the globe for this Thursday, August 6th, 2020. On August the 8th, WLRN's Thistle Pedersen will be a featured speaker at Can I Get a Witness, a feminist conference organized by lesbian feminist events producer Joey Bright. The lineup for this virtual event includes Megan Murphy, Vaishnavi Sundar, M.K. Fain, and Jennifer Belek, among popular feminists many of our WLRN listeners are familiar with. But it also includes the voices of medical professionals and ordinary citizens who are willing to speak out against the current gender identity movement. As Joey Bright describes, quote, The way the language has carefully been crafted on the registration page is just neutral enough to help people feel comfortable sharing the event, even with a somewhat skeptical recipient. This event will help begin conversations and break the silence that has existed for too long among concerned citizens. This event aims to take back the mic and normalize the conversation, end quote. 
In the first few days, ticket sales went live. Hundreds of tickets were sold. To get your ticket and join hundreds of others ready to engage in conversation about the harms of transgenderism, please visit tickettailor.com slash events slash can I get a witness. That's ticket, T-A-I-L-O-R dot com slash events slash can I get a witness. Poland's Minister of Justice started filing paperwork to start the process of withdrawing from a treaty aimed at curbing domestic violence and protecting women's rights this past July. The treaty known as the Istanbul Convention was originally intended to fight violence against women throughout Europe, where critics of it in Poland claim it undermines traditional families and is seen as a threat to national sovereignty. Although the treaty does not specifically address issues of lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender rights, Opponents claim the treaty promotes LGBT ideology and poses a threat to Christian morality, the leading religion in Poland. Ratification of the treaty has also been delayed in Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Hungary, Latvia and Slovakia. Russia hasn't even bothered to sign it. There has been swift backlash against the proposed withdrawal with thousands of protesters taking to the streets of Warsaw with signs that read, Strike Kobiet, or Women's Strike. A trans-identified male, Valentina Sampaio, became Sports Illustrated's first trans model this past July, being featured in their swimsuit edition that highlights women posing provocatively in bikinis and other swimwear. The male Brazilian model became the first trans model to make the cover of Vogue Paris in 2017, and two years later went on to become the first, quote, openly transgender model hired by Victoria's Secret. Mr. Sampaio gave praise to Sports Illustrated magazine, claiming it champions, quote, a diverse set of multi-talented, beautiful women in a creative and dignified way, end quote. What can be seen as another blow to reproductive rights, the Supreme Court in America sided with a President Trump administration directive to allow employees to revoke contraceptive coverage mandated under the Affordable Care Act due to, quote, religious or moral objections. The 72 court ruling on July the 8th may lead to the loss of birth control access to over 125,000 women, disproportionately impacting low-income women. The only two dissenting judges were Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor. In her dissent, Ginsburg wrote, quote, In accommodating claims of religious freedom, this court has taken a balanced approach, one that does not allow the religious beliefs of some to overwhelm the rights and interests of others who do not share those beliefs. Today, for the first time, the court cast totally aside contravailing rights and interests in its zeal to secure religious rights to the nth degree, end quote. Estrid, a Swedish-based razor company that advertises itself as the first female-centered razor company, has recently come out with a new non-binary line. This advertising campaign comes in during Pride Week in Sweden and features Monroe Bergdorf, a trans-identified male model, holding a razor with a pink base and blue tip. It's been a month since the very popular subreddit r slash gendercritical was removed from Reddit for hate speech, and the moderators of that space are happy to announce the launching of overit.com. That's O-V-A-R-I-T dot com. Security was of utmost importance in this new space, so you'll need an invite code to participate in the discussions. If you're on Twitter, DM their new account, at women are over it, 
for a code. On Spinster, you can DM their new account at Overit. The British Broadcasting Corporation has removed Mermaids, a leading transgender charity and popular voice for, quote, transgender youth, from their advice line list for viewers. The BBC have also removed the Gender Trust and the Gender Identity Research and Education Society from their advice line, which provides options for services to the audience after a program has been shown. The BBC stated it removed the groups after receiving complaints about its gender identity information and needed to remain impartial. Mermaids have come under increasing scrutiny as they behave more like a lobby group for medical intervention rather than a support group and charity for transgender children and youth. A large poster paid for by Posey Parker that read, I love JK Rowling, has been removed from an Edinburgh railway station. In a recent tweet, a spokesperson for the railway station claimed it was removed due to its political nature. While the words, I love JK Rowling, weren't political, the station claimed the context of the poster went against their policy by promoting a political viewpoint, as JK Rowling has come out publicly against self-identifying trans males, accessing women's most vulnerable spaces, and advocating for a closer look at why so many young gender non-conforming girls are suddenly identifying as trans. Miss Parker told The Times, she is, quote, astounded that they found a way to take it down. We are in incredibly sinister times when an expression of love and solidarity is perceived to be hateful, end quote. Despite the poster being removed, women have been showing their solidarity with J.K. Rowling and Posey Parker by taking photos of themselves with the I Love J.K. Rowling posters around the UK, including the site where the poster was recently removed in the Edinburgh railway station. Each year, 6,300 women die during pregnancy or childbirth in Kenya, and unsafe abortion is responsible for close to 17% of maternal deaths. That's why Parliament in Kenya is considering a reproductive health care bill, which seeks to address some very important health gaps. This is the second time the reproductive health care bill comes before the Senate, which is coming under fire from some political opponents, religious groups, and civil society lobbies. The main concerns from the opposition are the rights women would have to access safe abortions and opponents claim medical providers would be forced to perform abortions irrespective of their religious beliefs. Opponents also dislike the sexuality education outline in the bill and treatment of infertile women, claiming the process would be, quote, unnatural. This is the second attempt in six years to guarantee reproductive rights into law for Kenya, with the first bill being introduced back in 2014. On Wednesday, July the 29th, in a 4-1 decision from the Supreme Court in Mexico, Mexican Parliament killed a proposal that would strengthen abortion access to women across the country. The court stated they did so for technical reasons and didn't attempt to address the arguments that sought to increase women's rights to bodily autonomy. Mexico is currently contravening international treaties by not allowing women safe access to abortion services, of which it is a signatory. A spokeswoman from a feminist collective in Veracruz stated, quote, The problem is that the substance was not discussed, and the form still matters more than women's lives, end quote. Of Mexico's 32 states, only Mexico City and Oaxaca have decriminalized abortion, leaving it still illegal to have one in the remaining 30 states. 
two women and not the men who pay to access women's bodies have been given 95 lashes each in Indonesia's Aceh province after both were found guilty under Sharia law for soliciting clients for sex work over the internet. Both women were caned in front of dozens of spectators outside the Sharia office in the town of Langsa. Aji Azmanuddin, head of Langsa's Islamic Sharia agency, said this was the first case of online prostitution, and he hopes it will be the last. The maximum sentence for promoting sex outside of marriage is 100 lashes or 100 months in prison. Aji said he hoped the women's punishment would serve as a lesson for the community as their actions damaged the, quote, faith and character of our society, end quote. Aceh happens to be the only province in Indonesia which practices Sharia law, and this latest display is their third public flogging this year. Up to 1,000 babies born to surrogate mothers in Russia from foreign purchasers have been stranded by the closure of international borders due to the COVID-19 virus. The human babies are currently being cared for by hired caregivers in rented apartments in various Russian cities. Some of the mothers are being asked to provide additional care during the pandemic. Purchasers of the children from the poor surrogate mothers from Russia are also afraid of being cut off from the babies due to looming legal scandals. Four Russian doctors and four other employees involved in surrogacy have been charged with human trafficking from two fertility clinics. These charges have evoked fear in the medical community, forcing some doctors to refuse to treat surrogate mothers for fear of legal liability. Paid surrogacy is only allowed in a few countries around the world, and Russia's poor track record on human rights makes it a favorable destination for the purchasing of babies from poor, destitute mothers. More than 900 women and girls have gone missing and are thought to be dead in Peru since the country went on lockdown in mid-March of this year. Jackie Hunt of Equality Now, a non-governmental organization which claims to promote the rights of women and girls, had this to say about the matter. Peru has one of the highest rates of violence against women in Latin America, and the coronavirus pandemic has worsened what was already a dire situation. COVID-19 response measures introduced by the Peruvian government must address the particular vulnerabilities of women and girls. Strict enforcement of laws against domestic violence and other forms of gender-based violence should be imposed and the justice system should be applying a gender-based lens when investigating and prosecuting cases, end quote. The UN estimates that one out of every three women in Peru is likely to suffer physical or sexual violence from a male partner during her lifetime. On April 19th, a Nova Scotian man named Gabriel Wartman killed 22 people, injured three more, and set fire to 16 locations before being gunned down by Royal Canadian Mounted Police officers in the small town of Enfield in what is now known as the worst mass shooting in Canadian history. Before Wartman set out to kill all of those innocent people, he began his attack by forcibly confining and assaulting his girlfriend. She managed to escape hiding in the surrounding woods. She eventually came in contact with the police and RCMP that led to Warman being shot at a gas station in Enfield, Nova Scotia, Canada. That is why feminist groups across Nova Scotia were calling for an independent inquiry with a feminist lens into this horrific affair. Tuesday, July 25th, Ottawa announced a joint provincial-federal public inquiry would be taking place 
and not the less rigorous review that had been previously announced. The joint public inquiry could take substantially longer, but will probe into greater detail how this happened and how to prevent this tragedy from happening again. The push to see the inquiry through a feminist perspective is to acknowledge these acts were not senseless but rather very predictable, claims a petition with nearly 8,000 signatories. According to the petition, in order to prevent a mass shooting like this again in the future, there needs to be an acknowledgement of the connections between all misogynistic-based violent behaviors. In California on Tuesday, July the 28th, the Transgender Wellness and Equity Fund was set back by the state Senate Health Committee, chaired by Democratic Senator Richard Pan, who announced that the bill would not be considered for the remainder of the year. Assembly Bill 2218 had previously passed the state assembly along typical party lines with no debate. The bill was calling for millions in state funds to be used for transgender hormones and surgeries with no age restrictions, which means the bill would have permitted the funded and surgical removal of healthy organs and the implementation of controversial hormone treatments for minors. Dr. Quinton Van Meter, an Atlanta-based board-certified pediatric endocrinologist, testified before the California State Assembly against the bill earlier this year. WLRN talked with DC-based feminist lawyer Kara Dansky about the bill and its significance. Assembly Bill 2218 is called the Transgender Wellness and Equity Fund. And what this would have done is establish a fund within the state health department and allowed the health department to grant funds to quote unquote trans led organizations for among other things, providing quote unquote gender affirming healthcare services such as hormone therapy or gender reassignment surgery. And significantly, the bill contained no restrictions based on age. So essentially it would have created a situation in which the state of California's health department would have been funding the mutilation and sterilization of otherwise healthy children. And the bill passed in the uh, state assembly earlier this year. It was sent to the Senate and assigned to the Senate Health Committee. And another important thing to know is that the principal author of this bill is a man named Senator Weiner, who had previously authored a bill that would have required California prisons to house any man in a woman's prison if that man, quote unquote, identified as a woman. So the chair of that committee is a man named Dr. Richard Pan, who's a Democrat from Sacramento who works as a pediatrician. And this past Thursday, Senator Pan announced that the bill would not move forward, which means that the, the bill is effectively dead, at least for now, unless and until it's reintroduced. And this is really pretty significant because, at least as far as I know, this is the first time in the history of the United States that a Democrat has stood up to the so-called gender identity movement. And, you know, we could speculate that Senator Pan's experience in pediatrics led him to question the wisdom of using state funding to permanently sterilize young children, though we don't know. And there's also some evidence that opponents of the bill presented committee members with copies of Abigail Schreier's recent book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. And if that's true, that would mean that the book is already doing a lot of the work that Abigail had hoped it would do. So this is pretty good news. As far as I know, again, this is the first time in U.S. history that a Democrat has taken a stand and said no to the gender identity movement. 
In November 2019, PayPal made the bold move to sever ties with Pornhub, one of the largest online streaming sites dedicated to the humiliation, degradation, and racialized sexual exploitation of women and girls. During the month of July, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation recognized PayPal in their Dignity Defense Alert, which is a monthly campaign to recognize the people, companies, and nonprofits who are taking action to defend human dignity from any form of sexual abuse or exploitation. According to the NCSE's website, by the online payment service no longer allowing Pornhub purchases, quote, PayPal hampered a predatory corporation's ability to perpetuate and profit from abuse and exploitation, end quote. You can sign a petition to have Pornhub shut down for good at traffickinghub.com, or check out the petitions embedded in the NCSE's website, which includes a petition to thank PayPal for cutting links to Pornhub, and or send an email to credit and debit card companies imploring them to follow PayPal's bravery at nsexualexploitation.org and clicking the link to their Dignity Defense Alert, PayPal severs ties with Pornhub under the recent victories heading. On July the 14th, the Ontario Associate Minister of Children and Women's Issues ordered a directive to all the children's aid societies in the province to stop the discriminatory practice of birth alerts. All children's aid societies have until mid-October to come into compliance with the new terms. Birth alerts are used by the CAS to notify hospitals when they believe a newborn may be in need of protection. Due to the many years of systemic racism in Canada, they have been used disproportionately on Indigenous mothers. Despite Indigenous people being only 4% of the overall population in Canada, Indigenous children make up 30% of the kids in foster care. In the place of birth alerts, all agencies will be required to work with mothers, community partners, and all other service providers to create a pre- and postnatal plan that supports the parents of the newborns to ensure more families stay together. Jill Dunlop, the Associate Minister of Children and Women's Issues, stated, quote, Ending the use of birth alerts is an important step as we shift our focus to prevention, early intervention, and improve outcomes for families and their children. This change is part of our government's effort to build a child welfare system that is better coordinated and focused on community-based prevention services that are high quality, culturally appropriate, and truly responsive to the needs of children, youth, and families." End quote. Sisterhood and Strength, a group of women in Canada who have survived prison and are now working collaboratively with allies to end imprisonment for women, have officially obtained their incorporation status. CIS offers advocacy support, legal and other referrals, and peer support for incarcerated women. To learn more about these amazing women, the great work they do, and or to donate to the cause, please visit strengthinsisterhood.net. That's strengthinsisterhood.net. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, August 6, 2020. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and letting us know what's going on.
That was Y Control, as in the letter Y, by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview WLRN's Danielle Whitaker did with Beth Stelser and Linda Blade, members of the organization Save Women's Sports. As the founder of Save Women's Sports, Beth Stelzer is an amateur powerlifter, housewife, mother, and entrepreneur. She decided to take action after harassment from gender extremists who believed males should be allowed to compete in women's sports. Dr. Linda Blade was an internationally ranked athlete and is now a coach with a PhD in kinesiology who has trained athletes in more than 15 sports over the past 25 years. She currently serves as the elected president of Athletics Alberta in Canada. All right, so start by telling us a little bit about yourselves, um, you know, your background in athletics, how you got involved with the feminist movement. Um, Linda, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I have not been involved in the feminist movement very much in my life, um, not for any particular uh, for or against it was just that I was busy. I was uh, an athlete, then I became a coach and just kind of in the trenches of sport, coaching a lot of athletes in different sports. Um, yeah, and so I just didn't pay much attention. And it's that's to my discredit because it took me till about, I guess, 2018 to figure out that we had a little issue here. Um, I'm president of track and field in Alberta, the province of Alberta, uh, a, a province in Canada. And um, uh, I was on a gender committee for the national meetings. And I saw the documents that said that basically males would be allowed to self-identify into women's sports. And with my PhD in kinesiology, which is human biology, and of course, just uh, having been in sports and having lived on planet Earth, Basically, I know the difference between males and females. Um, I was stunned and I just could not get my mind around what was going on. And when I, you know, I guess we can get more into this. But when I basically, you know, said, Does, are you guys kidding me? Um, they're like looking at me like, well, it's going to be the law and you're going to have to do it. And I just thought, man, I have fallen into some little sort of zone here that I did not know existed and so then I went to uh, the last two years I've been on a long journey and um, that's it that's my story yeah I feel like no matter how you know people come into all of this they kind of have a similar story where it's just this shocking moment of like am I crazy (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly um okay uh, Beth how about you could you give us a little bit about your background yeah, I'm one of those people with a bit of a shocking moment. I'm I'm kind of an accidental activist. I'm a housewife and a mom who just happened to pick up the hobby of powerlifting a couple of years ago. And at one of my first competitions, a uh, male protested disruptively during the entire event because he wasn't able to enter the women's state competition. And so after that, I was like, what is going on? And fell down this rabbit hole. And here I am with Save Women Sports. yeah so you're both involved with save women's sports now so is that right yes yes yeah can you describe kind of how this the coalition came about and how you both started working together well Beth started it so I'll let her talk about that and then I'll tell you how I met her okay well 
after this competition, I realized how there was a lack of resources for people who feel the same way we do and found that women were getting harassed, as many of us in this field know. And so I started just as a website and a, a platform to compile information. And before you know it, I needed an email address and contacts were coming in and we've just really branched out now in this last year into almost an international coalition of like-minded people all working together to to speak up for women and really save our spot in sports yeah i was uh watching beth after i think starting in about 2019 because i spent the year of 2018 thinking i was the only one who kind of was in my world who understood that there might be a problem with gender self ID into sports. And then, so I just started tweeting because you know, when you got nothing else to do and nobody on your side, you, you just kind of want to put your ideas out into the world. You send them out on Twitter and see what happens. And so I would just, you know, start putting things out on Twitter, like, um, you know, male and female different. And, um, it's not right for males to compete with females. So I just started sort of slowly like that. And I got more and more people commenting and liking and really not too much grief, although, yeah, sometimes a bit of grief. And then by December of 2018, um, I had Fair Play for Women uh, in the UK um, contact me by direct message saying, who are you and what are you about here? Because we're kind of doing the same thing. So then I had a chat with them um, in, uh, I think it was about, I don't know, maybe February 2019 and then um, joined the Facebook page and there was Beth and then all of a sudden we saw this strange save women's sports who's that <laughs> and then um, and then oh yeah that's me Beth said and so um, I you know when I had gotten that call uh, with uh, Nicola and Fair Play for Women I was just thrilled because I thought well good that there's somebody who's organizing something but you know it did occur to me that the biggest country in the world that needs to tackle this was the United States, is the United States of America. And I was really stunned that there wasn't really a major women's sports organization tackling. In fact, every women's sports organization actually seemed to be in favor of males being involved in women's sports. So I was, I was also stunned by that. But thank goodness when Beth started Save Women's Sports, I was right onto it. I said, you know, Beth, if it wasn't going to be you, it was going to be somebody because somebody in the United States has to start uh, organizing people around this issue because this is going to be huge. And um, so I was really impressed with Beth and what she was doing. And um, yeah, I was happy to see her start building a platform. Yeah, it is. It is shocking, as you mentioned, you know, so many women's sports organizations tend to be in favor of it and you just kind of mm -hmm. wonder how much is how much of that is really real or how much of it is just extreme pressure to sort of buy into to this ideology you know it's a curiosity I don't know the answer to that I I really I because well, in Canada there's this the one governing body in sport because we do actually have an official national um ministry of sport so to so to speak where there's funding for sports and funding for women's sports and that sort of thing. And the main organization that stands for women in sport is, is the Canadian Association for the Advancement of Women in Sport Cause. Uh, and 
when I went and turned, looked at their website uh, to see if they would support somebody like me having a difference of opinion, oh my goodness, they were they had drunk the Kool Aid more than anybody, and they were the people. The women from Cause Group are the ones who are being sent across the country to pre- present this inclusivity um, policy to all the small sports organizations. So they're basically the missionaries delivering the message. And it really shocked me that how could they not see, yes, okay, we, we want to not bully people, and that's important, but how can they not see this is actually going to end up bullying women and ex- excluding women from sports? And I, and I just could not understand the the how they could hold that view. So it was only... You know, in that time frame in the last two years that I understood there was a difference between intersectional feminism and and um, radical feminism. And I had no idea I had to go back to the history of feminism and actually look at the waves. I didn't know even what these meant. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's um, we're, we're sort of forced to, to educate ourselves just in order to make yeah. our, our arguments. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I see that one of the the current initiatives with Save Women Sports is a letter to the NCAA. Um, Could you give us some background on that and what's going on in Idaho right now? Beth could do that. Yeah, there's currently a hearing in Idaho because the NCAA um, has felt pushback from the ACLU. So they are going to work on having a hearing this week, I believe. the Alliance Defending Freedom has a couple of female athletes on their side, and ACLU has a couple of female athlete representatives on their side. So we should know more about that later this week, hopefully. But for now, I would encourage any NCAA athletes, former or um, current, any pro athletes to hop on our website. It'll prompt you right away to sign the letter of support and let the NCAA know that we do not want males competing in female sports. Mm-hmm. So the when you do a letter writing campaign like this, I mean, have these campaigns been successful? You know, how do you decide who to target when you do them? Um, I would like to think they're successful. Uh, We see just as much representation on our side as the other. And as with this one um, to the NCAA, we'd really like to have former and current athletes because we feel that it's their voices that matter the most on it. So we just really look at um, who the letter is aimed towards. And it's, it's mainly athletes. We need athletes speaking out and we know how hard it is. They risk losing sponsorships, they get harassed. Um, we all get some hot water for this, but it's our duty to speak up for future generations of women. Yeah, and you'd think, you know, okay, there's a, maybe a risk of losing sponsorships, but if they allow men to compete in sports, then they're they're going to risk, you know, losing in other ways, regardless, losing titles and, you know. Yeah, and down like the that. road, uh, a complete disillusion of the the. Uh, uh, of the women's category there there will no right. longer be women's sports if we open up this floodgate exactly what's a yeah. sponsorship if your daughter doesn't get to compete fairly mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's interesting they talk about you know fairness and like oh well we have to we have to let men compete in order to be fair but it's it's kind of the opposite you know it's there there are lots of restrictions in sports um, competitive sports, you know, lots of rules about who can and who isn't eligible to compete, you know, based on lots of different factors. It's just, mm-hmm. 
it's kind of mind-blowing that everyone's kind of just overlooking this one. <laughs> right. Sports are naturally discriminatory, and our rights don't end where someone's feelings begin. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, and um, I would so- say, too, that the sports, the whole reason that we have, for example, in the martial arts or in judo, whatever, we have the um, weight categories and in my sport, track and field, age categories, there's all kinds of stratification that we put into sport to ensure that you have a window <clears throat> where there's, you know, equivalent, like, level playing field for th- that group of people to have a good chance of, you know, being on the podium so that they there's meaning to what they're competing. So, in other words, if, if you have a 20-year-old competing with a 12-year-old, and the foregone conclusion that the 20 year old is going to win, that's, you know, there's just no point in the 12 year old competing. And I see it as exactly the same. In fact, when you look at the differences between um, males and females, it actually is equivalent to an NCAA athlete woman, female athlete in the NCAA competing against a 12 year old girl. And it just, you know, it boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like the issue that we're talking about is males competing in women's sports rather than the reverse, which is obviously not a coincidence. Yeah. But I'm, I'm wondering, like, do either of you know of any cases of, you know, females attempting to compete in male sports? Well, Chris Moser um, is one of the few I've, that I know of. A, a former, well, she's female in in terms of her biological sex, but has become a a, a transgender male and has done really well at the highest end of, you know, cycling, master cycling. Um, So there, you know, but not winning, but, you know, in, in a top category. So every once in a while, there's somebody that can take a lot of testosterone, has a huge, great ability in sport, and it kind of works out a little bit. But even even uh, Chris Moser isn't really um, like a household name in terms of being successful against male athletes. Right. They're just in the group. Right. It's not like, you know, as a whole, women present an unfair advantage to men in, in men's sports. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's it's a huge achievement, accomplishment. It'd be like saying. Every once in a while you hear about a, a female person making making it into the elite forces in the military or the Marines. It's really rare and it's hard. And, and, and in a way, you'd almost think that that woman is so exceptional that if she was actually in a woman's category doing some sport, she'd be like the world champion. Because, right. I mean, just so much talent, right? Right. But of course, if, you know, if she's taking testosterone as, you know, Mm. the part of her trans identity, I mean, that would not be allowed in women's sports anyway. Right. Right. And that is the issue. Yeah. That's a different part. That's the flip side of this, too, is that when we make our policies in sport, men can't compete with women. But also, if you're a female athlete and you're actually transitioning, you're taking testosterone, obviously you're doping. So then you we'd have Mm -hmm. to figure that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, can you tell us a little bit about um, also the, the petition to the International Olympic Committee that you're promoting? Which, uh, which one of us should go on that one, Beth? 
Well, I can just start by saying that we have over 40 countries now and over 15,000 signatures and over wow. 40 different organizations that have signed on in support. That's great. Really Is there great. a certain number of signatures that you are kind of shooting for? We haven't really set a limit for it, right. but right. Um, we hope to hopefully uh, present it to the IOC in the near future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have a date for that yet? Or like, what are the next steps? Well, I, I was proposing to Beth, no, knowing how the International Olympic Committee makes decisions, I, I was proposing that maybe sometime by, you know, early October, mid-October, we should wrap it up and submit it to the IOC just to give them a chance to respond. Because most of the rule changes that they make for the following, the ensuing year, I mean, the last possible chance to have it changed before 2021 would probably be their December meeting, and they should probably have about a month or two to actually look at what women are saying to have that discussion. But I, I've also heard through the grapevine that the International Olympic Committee executives are obviously by now quite aware that this issue is um, problematic. And it's not going away, and they're they are going to have to deal with it somehow. And and now with World Rugby on the cusp of um, releasing their own decision on transgender participation in sport, um, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the IOC. So anyway, we'd like to have them have know about these signatures and and our petition. You know, I would imagine by October. Mm-hmm. So with the whole, I imagine there's probably some timeline delays and with, you know, COVID and the pandemic and everything. Is that yeah. helping you guys or is that making it more difficult? I think it's helping in a way because it it delayed, like, if the IOC would have, if COVID would not have happened and the IOC would have had the Olympics already this month, they would be happening this month. Mm -hmm. um, it's entirely likely there would be a male athlete involved and maybe even on the podium. So, and that, <clears throat> that athlete most likely would have been Laurel Hubbard, but we don't know. It could have been athletes from other countries. Laurel Hubbard is the weightlifter from New Zealand and, and there could have been somebody on a female podium. And I keep saying, and that's our main pitch to the IOC. It's almost like we, Beth and I, and, and save women's sports, um, it's almost like we care more about the IOC's reputation than the IOC, because that's really what we're saying. We're saying if the world sees a male body on a female podium um, in the Olympic Games, it's just, you know, TVs are going to shut off all over the world. I mean, I don't see people won't take the Olympics seriously anymore. Yeah. And it's such a it's a terrible thing for the brand, I can imagine. And surely you would think they would care about that more than we do because it's worth billions of dollars to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I point. agree. We're, we're taking this break as an advantage to ask them to re-examine and have a thoroughly represented conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you both respond to, you know, the opposing arguments when, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, if they take hormones for a certain amount of time, then they have no advantage over women. I mean, you know, you both have a good understanding of biology, mm -hmm. obviously. I mean, what are how do you address those kinds of statements just personally? 
Well, I mean, <laughs> first of all, having been a coach and also having my PhD in growth and development in human biology, uh, that was my subspecialty in the kinesiology program. Um, it was anthropometry and, and physical anthropology and how children grow and the bodies change in size, shape, proportion, composition, all that. I mean, there are thousands of ways. There's just so many ways in which uh, internal anatomy, uh, internal physiology or external anatomy and physical features of males differ from females. And, and it's not just a matter of, you know, a male or a, uh, let's put it this way, a female isn't just a male with less testosterone. Like this mm -hmm. is so wrong. I mean, there are so many qualitative and, and quantitative differences. It doesn't matter. Testosterone is a major thing, obviously. But, um, you know, it's it's not. I mean, I, it, this might sound a little disrespectful, but I would say that it's it's like saying you're going to try to change a, a three story building into a two story building by changing the plumbing or a paint. You know, it just <laughs> you. you <laughs> You have a structure, it's bigger, better, high, greater lungs, larger bones, um, you know, stronger muscles, everything. And the, the fact is, is that recent um, investigations, scientific research done undertaken in, in Sweden by the Karolinska Institute showed, I mean, they literally took two groups of, of individuals, one where males who are transitioning to females are, are trying to sort of transition to women and then females transitioning to men. And they, they followed their strength changes over the year that they were taking their um, hormone replacement therapies respectively. And they found at, by just measuring the, the grip strength and different types of strength exercises that the males who were transitioning to women maintained their strength advantage even over the females who are taking testosterone to become men wow i mean because there's there's just so many different things besides hormone levels right i mean the males mm. have different muscle composition i mean different mm. skeletal structures i mean sure. all of that none of that goes away with hormones right so it's a structural issue and and it, and the differences and advantages are built in mm-hmm I, I've learned to react over time by bypassing the science debate and just going straight to what about my feelings? We're talking yeah. to a theology that's based upon feelings. Well, what about mine? What mm. about my right to say, no, I don't want this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Again, women, women are being removed of the chance, the choice, the opportunity to say no. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and it's, it is true that when push comes to shove, it happened in a meeting that I was in just a month ago at the national level. Um, I pointed out because they, they showed us new documentation to um, to promote safe sports, quote unquote, safe sports, a big movement in Canada right now, because there have been recently some issues and, and um, situations where it has arisen that people, pedophiles, or somebody who was abusing an athlete for years, um, and it only came out now. So they obviously, as much as we've tried hard to make sure that, you know, we have ethics in sport, and also non-harassment, non-sexual harassment, and all that, and coaching, training, and all that. But what's happened is that this 
this thing, these kinds of situations between a coach and the athlete have still happened. And so the big thing is now safe sport. So the, you know, once again, <clears throat> the woke um, people from the sports establishment, um, when they, when I saw the new documentation on safe sport, it literally said on a trip, athletes are to be a, um, assigned to hotel rooms based on their gender identity. And I just couldn't help myself. Like I just said, listen, like, I really want to say this respectfully, but if we're saying that, and that, that, you know, athletes can also uh, go in, use the showers and locker rooms and in, on the basis of their gender identity, we're literally putting males into female spaces. You're literally, why would we talk about safe sport if you're actually doing that? And, and you're actually promoting, in fact, you're give, taking away, like Beth says, the right of a female person to say, no, I don't want this person in my space. And, you know, they were quite good about, like, when I pointed that out about the language and what it actually means, you know, one of a couple of the legal minds on the on the call were saying, oh, you know, that's a good point. And this comes down to a balancing of rights, balancing of human rights. And we, you know, we're going to have to maybe look at the language again. And but if I hadn't said anything, it would just flow through, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. I think people are using this language and they don't really think it through. And and um, and so, yeah, I mean, it comes down to the rights of a male person identifying as a female or as a woman because they can never be female, but they can self-ID as a woman, maybe. But it, it comes down to a battle or a balancing of their rights to be in sport versus the female 50% of the population, our right to have an exclusive space for ourselves. And what I find interesting in Canada, because we have a law that literally says you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity, which would be the same as the equality law if it ever passed in the United States. My point always is, even though it says you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity, that doesn't mean you put a male and an athlete in a female sport. You cannot, right. you can, you can include them, but we can do it in a different way. Just like it's not a, somehow the prison wardens here in Canada think if that according to the same law, it would be sort of discriminatory not to put a male person into a female prison if they, they self-declare as, as a woman, but that doesn't have to happen that way. It, that's a decision somebody makes as sort of their interpretation of the law. They could yeah. easily make a wing, a, a special branch of the prison in a men's prison and make it the trans, trans woman's section. Like, yeah. it's what people do. It's what people do to interpret a law like that. And then they forget about the human rights of the women, of the female persons. Yeah, and I think that's that's the issue is that, I mean, for one, the trans, you know, the, the men who are identifying as trans women, they, they, mm -hmm. they're not really interested in these sort of third spaces. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they want women's spaces as part of the, their validation of this, this delusion mm -hmm. that they have. <laughs> and I think the issue is that the, we, we can't agree on a definition of what is a, is a human right. I mean, it's yeah. not a human right to simply say, I want this thing. I say that I'm this thing and therefore mm -hmm. I'm entitled to the rights and resources that this group has. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. If everyone is defining human rights differently, I think it's it's going to be a, a big challenge. 
Well, I find that really interesting when somebody says um, they they have a right to be affirmed in your space because um, sport, getting back to the realm of sports, sport is so much the wrong venue for to to service as sort of like um, medical treatment. Like mm-hmm. the sport is not the venue. And, and I, I hesitate to say it like this because nor are prisons or anything else. But sport is not the venue to to somehow validate or somehow fix psychosocial issues. I mean, right. just because somebody has a psychosocial issue that they're struggling with, it's not our job in sport to fix that. Go find a therapist or go get some help. But we need to keep sport the way it is. It, we're competing on the basis of biology. Yeah, yeah, and this is not a, a, a political, it's not religious. Yep. In sports, it's very clear to see. We have teenage boys in high school, that over hundreds of them right now, that could beat the Olympic women's record in track. Yeah. In my sport of powerlifting, it's easy to see on our records that males have a 30% advantage on most lifts. It's it's clear in sports that this is about mm-hmm. fairness. It doesn't even come down mm-hmm. to rights. It's about fairness. Yeah, it is a fairness issue. And, you know, I would say um, if if we're talking because some some people in my association have recommended a third section or a third category uh, just because we do care that everybody gets to be included somehow, even though we don't want to be unfair to to the female athletes. But then I would say that. If you had a third category where it was the trans category where where the trans men and the trans women would compete again together in the third category, guess what? You would still have to split that category up by biological sex because yeah. it wouldn't be fair to the trans men to be competing against the trans women either. So, yeah. and that would happen very quickly. So, um, you know, it, it really still all boils back to comes back to biology. If we're if if we can't have a third part a uh, third category that we wouldn't also have to split up on the basis of sex, then why aren't we just maintaining what we have already, which is sport that is categorized on the basis of sex? Yeah, it seems like with you know sport and athletics being such a fundamentally physical activity, it seems like this would be the one area where you know regardless of politics or anything you know rationally minded people should be able Mm -hmm. to see why biology matters and why it's just it's it's not really something you can deny yeah well and since a lot more men seem to care about sports than women in general in society um i was you know it made a lot of sense to me i saw a chart recently that um when asked i think it was in the uk when the public was asked about whether they support males in women's sports a lot more men in society said absolutely not than Mm -hmm. women it seems like women there's a lot of women who just feel well why not you know because maybe they don't really even know care about sport that much but for Mm -hmm. the people who do care about sports they're adamant that's just not fair yeah Yeah. and i think we're still facing an issue of People are unaware that this is going Mm. on because the general media is not covering us and 
we're getting censored on social media and really now is the time to speak up and have these tough conversations with those friends, families, coaches, athletic association members, anyone. We really need to stand our ground right now and and as Linda's told me, put our flag in the ground and <laughs> and be those ones to lead. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because all it takes is one or two people to say something and what everybody else is thinking. I mean, look at what's happening with J.K. Rowling. Um, you know, it's just so effective, obviously, if somebody with her platform, but even with Abigail Schreier's book, um, I just all of these people starting to speak up. Um, I just feel like people are now coming out of the woodwork and opening their eyes and saying, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize this was happening. I think it'll yeah. be more important. There's even a book that recently came out called Transgender Hoops Identify as Female. That's a fictional mm-hmm. story about a team of boys that decide to enter into girls sports. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. I haven't heard I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's by an author, Anthony um, Lunsford. Mm-hmm. Okay. It on okay. Amazon. On our website, we have it linked. Awesome. Yeah, it's a good book. All right. I will definitely have to check that out. I also attest to Abigail's book. It's it's mm-hmm. a must for all of us. Ir- irreversible yeah. damage. Irreversible damage. Yep. I actually I read that one. Um, name of that book. I interviewed her last month. I read it be- beforehand. So that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that cool. was really oh, something. Yes. Okay. Very interesting perspective. I was good. just one more thing about that. People say, you know, what difference does it make? There's so few of them, one or two, in your sports. Um, Two things to that podium and girls give up with this amount of young people and boys being encouraged by schools and really the schools are promoting the ideology to transition. Um, there could be a lot more uh, coming down the pipeline in terms of the confusion of which bodies belong in which sports. And this is going to be really tough to deal with because like for the high schools and stuff. So, the sooner we can have clear-cut guidelines, I think, the better and easier it's going to be for everybody involved in the sport. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, as so, mentioned before, it's a it's a floodgate. If we let one through, it's going to open up something that we don't want to happen. And it's more than one. I mean, from just from what I've you know seen in my own research and the news that I've the feminist news that I follow, I mean, it's it's a lot more than one. It's it seems mm. to be. You know, if, yeah. if it were really just one, then maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal. But it seems mm. like men are try- starting to take advantage of this. Yeah. It, well, it seems like in smaller communities like mine, it's it's one athlete that presents and people make these rules that allow them to compete, not mm. thinking about what would the possibilities be in the future and the repercussions mm. for the girls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think the media has done such a good job of portraying you know, these gender identity proponents as this sort of marginalized, underprivileged minority that, that, you know, the idea is, well, we have to accommodate them because anything else would just be bigotry or unfairness uh, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and biology, uh, the defense of biology isn't, isn't bigotry. And, and like I said, it is more than one. We have well over 50 athletes that we have found that have stole titles away from women in sports and mm-hmm. enough Enough. One is too many. And they're yeah. featured on the website as well, Save Women's Sports. Thanks, yeah. Linda. 
Mm-hmm. So what what's next for Save Women's Sports? What do you have um, coming up that, that you hope to be working on in the future? Uh, we were organizing a, a big live event with some speakers, but then, of course, COVID came our way. Uh-huh. So we're working on some webinar, webinars, wrapping up these petitions, and, and just making these strong bonds within our network so we can support mm-hmm. Idaho and, and future endeavors. We have all these different states that uh, were rearing up before COVID hit to start passing some bills, so it's time to get behind them when the government mm-hmm. starts opening up and... It, like I said before, it is really now is our time to speak up. Yeah. So speak out, speak over, speak under, speak through the noise. Speak loud so I can hear you. I want to know you. I want to hear your real voice. I want to hear your real voice. This, 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 this is WLRN, 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 Women's Liberation Radio Women's Liberation Radio Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. human beings are sexualized from birth and treated as if our only value lies in our sexed bodies, our physical potential has always been downplayed in male society. We are conditioned to believe we are physically weak and incompetent by nature, and this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for the majority of women. Females learn to covet a skinny body instead of a strong one, to avoid building muscle because men would consider it unfeminine, to repress their girlhood desires to romp through the outdoors and learn a sport because that's boyish behavior. Before any girl or woman can become an athlete, she must first break through the psychological barrier men create to keep women and girls physically underdeveloped. The odds are stacked against her before she even decides to go down the athletic path, and they are never made fair. That women and girls even have the option to participate in sports, whether as underage students, college students, or adult professionals, is only true because women fought hard to create the right and the opportunity in a past where men considered sports and athletics essentially male pursuits. Just because we have the right and opportunities now doesn't mean our access to sports and athletics is as unconditional as it is for men. Female athletes have had to risk and suffer sexual violence at the hands of men in sports to pursue their dreams of athletic glory. Professional female athletes are grossly underpaid compared to their male counterparts in just about every sport worldwide. For the few women and girls who succeed in going all the way, fulfilling their highest athletic potential, there is always misogynistic ridicule to face from males. Their bodies are constantly scrutinized, criticized, and insulted, if not sexualized. 
Men who couldn't last five minutes on a run have the audacity to call female athletes ugly and masculine for their athletic physiques or else dehumanize and delegitimize the women as skilled masters of their sport by reducing them to the sex objects all women get reduced to in the male gaze. The way men talk about women's pro sports is often condescending, belittling, and even insecure. They employ one of their favorite tactics, infantilizing grown women to make them seem like children, to downplay female pro athletes' extraordinary physical speed, strength, power, and skill. Because these women have done what we aren't supposed to do. They've surpassed girlish physical weakness and smallness and molded their bodies into forms other than the fetishized ideal of men's sexual fantasies. Male contempt of athletic women and female physical prowess reflects men's attitude that female bodies should only exist for male sexual gratification and reproduction. Any physical activity a woman does beyond that sexual scope, activity which does not involve or revolve around male interests, is not worthy of respect or support in the male mind. Women and men have always participated in sports separately with good reason. Humanity has, up until recently, recognized that the sexes have different physical abilities, and to judge them against each other by the same standards is unfair. To admit males who call themselves women into female sports while maintaining the illusion of sex-segregated athletics is to gaslight female athletes into believing they still have a fair shot at success in their chosen sport. Liberals who advocate for feminine male athletes to compete in women's sports instead of men's sports are effectively advocating for the sex-based desegregation of professional and collegiate athletics without honestly admitting to it or acknowledging the glaring logical fallacy behind their rationale for allowing feminine male athletes into women's sports while disallowing masculine male athletes. There is no scientific evidence to support the notion that a man who uses artificial estrogen is physically identical to a woman, and yet we now live in a world where grown men who experience male puberty and still retain their penis and testicles can compete in women's sports, while intersex women are challenged or disqualified for supposedly having too much naturally occurring testosterone. This is unchecked misogyny and irrationality. Denying the most physically elite and athletically talented women and girls the opportunity to make team cuts and win competitions is only one of the issues with mixing the sexes in sports. Another, more important issue is jeopardizing the physical safety and well-being of female athletes. If we consider contact sports, we must recognize that women are at increased physical risk of harm should they play and compete against men, harm they are not given the chance to consent to. When it comes to both contact and non-contact sports, women and girls' well-being and comfort are also compromised in a world of mixed-sex sports when they're forced to change, shower, and travel with males who are sexually attracted to females. This kind of access is also something women and girls aren't given the option to consent to when they enter the sports world assuming they'll only share a team or compete against other females. Underage girls in American public schools have already made it clear they have a problem sharing their sports teams and locker rooms with male classmates, and outrageously, the adults on their school boards have often ignored the girls' wishes and feelings in favor of the male students who want to pretend to be girls. Aside from the competitive injustice and physical threats girl athletes face in this situation, the disrespect and violation of their boundaries will undoubtedly leave a long-lasting impression on them. They've been given the message that their feelings, safety, opinions, and hard work don't matter, and their fate is to be determined by the whims of males. 
Adult women who play collegiate or pro sports and who are not allowed to vote in the matter of admitting men to their teams must also swallow this message. As always, it's our responsibility to protect and defend our own boundaries as women against men who wish to violate them. If women displayed true solidarity in guarding our own self-interest and well-being, men wouldn't have gotten as far as they have in infiltrating female sports and athletics. They've come as far as they have because some women have chosen to cooperate with men and operate out of loyalty to male interests. These women are willing to betray other women and girls in the female sports world for social and political clout, not to mention financial benefit. It is women who have opened the door to men, women who care more about pleasing men rather than protecting their fellow women. Those of us who know it's wrong for men and boys to compete against female athletes and play on women's sports teams must continue to hold firm to our boundaries and hold the women who want to betray female athletes accountable. Sports and athletics make a significant positive impact on women and girls who participate. We fought hard to have our chance at playing and competing. Now we have to fight to keep women's and girls' sports for ourselves. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 52nd edition podcast for this August the 6th, 2020. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views on women's sports. Thank you so much, Beth Stelser and Linda Blade of the organization Save Women's Sports for speaking with us. Thanks for tuning in to WLRN. I'm April No. Until next time, stay strong in the struggle. If you like what you hear on the podcast and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. If you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a media collective of activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiaul signing off for now. And I am Thistle Patterson. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we'll focus our program on the intersection of race and sex and how Black women are specifically targeted and impacted by both racism and sexism. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, September 3rd. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interview are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. This is Danny Whitaker signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Judge Aquardo. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? <laughs>